This is the moment we've been waiting for. A time in human history where exponential technologies have rendered the world more virtually connected, more empowered, and more informed than ever before. Yet, we're still suffering. A lot. So how do we make the most of our modern tools to amplify and connect with what truly matters? To light the way, I've asked some friends to join us around the proverbial fire, to share stories of discovering their purpose, hidden within life's winding path, and to explore the future we really want. Let's meet where community, technology, and ancient wisdom converge. Hi. 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 <laughs> we are having the first Path and Purpose conversation in person in 2021 with my incredibly dear friend Lillian Soderman, who you're going to find out we have a lot of song lines in common and there are some really important threads that we're going to weave together, particularly focusing on the marriage of masculine feminine and technology meeting this community and ancient wisdom piece through a practice that we both share called counsel, which you have heard a little bit about if you've listened to the other episodes. <laughs> so today I'm going to tell you just a little bit about Lillian and you're going to learn a whole lot more from, well, you're going to share your stories, but post COVID, right? Lillian works at Salesforce. Lillian is a musician, an incredible folk musician. She lives in Colorado. She also studied cultural anthropology and came to Los Angeles, where we are joining you today from Topanga, this gorgeous <laughs> cabin in the woods in LA. Because for those of you who are familiar with LA, we get the ocean and the mountains and a tech scene more and more as well as Hollywood. So I am so excited to dive in with you to hear about your experience choosing to work in tech and what motivated that decision, as well as your call towards counsel, rites of passage work with youth, working in addiction and recovery centers. Lillian, you have been that marriage hmm. from my vantage point of staying connected to your soul and your heart and what you're really pursuing right now with music and continuing to participate in this modern world reality and weaving that in your life. And I see you as a microcosm of someone of the millennial generation who's figuring out how to make this blend work. Whew. Welcome. <laughs> so welcome to Path and Purpose. And would you like to share anything more that I didn't mention of who you are and perhaps what you most want to talk about today? What's on your heart? Hmm. Thank you. Um, Gosh, so many things on my heart. Um, I, yeah, and maybe one one other piece that's just danced back in is the council work in prisons that has just resurfaced, like lightning, um, just recently as of like the last 24 hours, which is something that I was really missing was the prison work that I used to do here when I lived in LA. Um, and all of the lifers that I worked with are now out and they want to do an in-person reunion circle, which that to me is, that's another big part of my song line that's starting to emerge, or re-emerge rather, that I planted here. 
Um, and I'm gonna just invoke the shape of the circle here, and this will be our center. So this is um, normally in council, you'd be sitting on the ground in a circle and different from a dialogue where Lily and I would be speaking to each other, we're gonna speak with you and we're gonna speak through you into the center. So mm -hmm. that will also help us gaze more naturally upon this yeah. green dot that we've all been making <laughs> such dear friends with this year of our cameras on cam uh, computers. So yeah, where don't, don't feel bad if you're not looking at me, I am right here and listening in my body. Awesome, that's also why I have a talking piece in my hand. I don't know, we'll be tossing this back and forth, but I always have a talking piece. <laughs> I sleep with this actually, <laughs> sometimes. I, what is it? Uh, it's a crystal cola. A, one of my dear friends gave to me. I'm not like a big crystal person, but wow. I often find that I need grounding and sleeping, holding rocks that are heavy, or it's really helpful for me to stay rooted on planet Earth. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, so prison work, and I'm just wondering where we take this because I know the big theme that is awake for so many of us right now and in the conversation we had almost a month ago preparing for today mm. we're considering and exploring what is emerging in our world and how can each of us be this space of integration mm. right so i want to ask you what are the big speakers or players in your life right now that are wrestling it out Mm. what's wrestling or as Brene would say rumbling mm. in you and particularly in search of this emergent future that you want mm. that you want that you're dedicated to I'd say what's alive in that for me right now is everything that I have now is something that I asked for six years ago when I left LA. I was asking for more financial stability. Um, I was tired of doing the hustle of council work here, nannying here, um, piecemealing the income together. And I wanted something more stable, um, hence finding Salesforce completely accidentally. I don't know if there's accidents, but um, <laughs> now here I am six years later really wanting more heart. And I have figured out how to work full time and put out soon to be new full length album, which I'm really excited about. And I'm still doing council and I do council trainings online and, um, and now the prison council work is coming back in. So in fact, I was writing today all the different threads that I'm, that I'm really seeding and a podcast actually <laughs> that we recorded first episodes. Uh, a friend and I recorded our first episodes yesterday. So mm. I think it, I have a lot of irons in the fire and I, um, Something that's really coming to fruition is that um, with the help of Bio Akomalafe, who's one of the one of the teachers right now that's really helping me rumble, um, get beyond the fences, which was a lot of our conversation when we were first together a couple weeks ago. Um, and Arnie Mendel. Those are two people. Arnie Mendel is, uh, wrote a book called The Shaman's Body, and he also has a book called The Dreaming Body. Um, and it's taking both bio and Arnie take Western psychology, which is the world that I came from alcohol and drug counseling, um, prior to finding counsel. And I have hit that wall with, um, with psychology essentially, um, and how far I think it can go. 
And um, I'm at that place of wanting to find where the fences are and how do I get beyond the fences? And, and as Arnie would say, how do we empty out enough to channel the world and let the world move through us, work through us, um, to find my calling. And there's a part of me that wants to quit Salesforce right now and just go full in and go all music and all counsel. And, um, and I'm not doing that. I think, um, I'm finding a lot of heart at Salesforce too. Like there's parts of me that come to life there that, um, that I also can't deny. So let's, let's pause right there and let's explore the call, the reasons why you work at one of the most successful technological companies uh, there is. Why are you someone who loves heart-based work and the humanities? Why are you there? What does it offer? Um, well, people are people. I'm surrounded by people. I think that I am authentically myself there. I bring circle work there. Um, they all know I'm a musician. I'm still unapologetically myself, and I find them asking me to show up as me, or you know, saying we're going to fly you here so you can work a room and be your extroverted self. Something that I'm really beginning to understand is I'm a pretty deep extrovert. I have my introversion, and I have to be introverted, but I'm fueled by people, and my job is. I'm a solution engineer, so I'm engineering solutions all day. All I do is listen and listen and listen to people. Um, and yes, it's technology based and yes, it's really like, it's another world, but I, I know I'm good at my job because I apply active listening to the work. Um, and how can I tap the hearts of the people, like that, tap the hearts of the CIOs of the world and, um, I work in the enterprise space, so I'm, I'm interfacing with some, some of the world's largest companies. And um, where's the heart? I think corporate America needs people that are rooted in heart work and how do we bring it there and transform it from the inside, which really is a micro of the macro, right, of how we shift culture um, on smaller scales that scale out. So what you just said, and I want to let that sink in for people listening, because it's, it's that important, that piece of being the micro in the macro. Each one of us within our team or our work, whether you're a contractor or you're an employee or you're a mother at home, whoever you are, being able to be that change, as we've heard on every bumper sticker or mug <laughs> that there is, can you give us an example, a simple moment recently invoking that power of story and counsel and from the heart where you were able to show up in this technical space with these, with perhaps a CIO, mm -hmm. chief innovation officer or uh, information? information officer. Yeah, information yeah. officer. Do you have someone in mind or a moment where you were able to bring that heart, what you're talking about. And I know you said active listening, which is also another important piece and recently gave a workshop to 12 female entrepreneurs on this topic because we need listening and leadership so deeply. Mm -hmm. 
What did that look like for you? Um, trying to think of, I mean, I mean, it happened this week. I think I had a really high pressure meeting, a lot of visibility, not a lot of preparation. Um, we were definitely set up to fail on purpose. Um, not by my company, by, by the company we were working with. And I, similar to the way that I used to play sports. And I mean, the way that you win sports is you take down the top player psychologically. And I know that sounds terrible, but it's a psychological game. If you bring down the person, they're going to bring down the rest of the team and you win psychologically, right? It sounds really dark, but it, the same thing goes in sales. Cause I'm in tech sales that there's the curmudgeon in the room. And it's kind of the opposite. If I win over the curmudgeon who really has been the blocker to a project, um, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a trickster energy. It's a little bit of showing up. And um, this person was not engaged throughout the whole meeting, was just totally checked out. Um, and I knew that this is the person that I had to win over. And I had talked to him maybe a, a little bit uh, prior to that. And um, yeah, and, and by my boss's boss's you know, direction, just be yourself, just be authentically you, present as you always do. And um, turns out I couldn't see people while I'm while I'm doing this presentation, but my account executive that aligns to me was like I tallied that person like you you nailed it you cracked the you cracked it that person laughed six times um, when they were completely disengaged prior to that so I think little things like that where and, and it's nothing that I, there's no ego in this right this. It's not that I think that I know what is better for someone else in front of me. My only job is to figure out how to show up authentically as myself, which is such a, it's like the bumper sticker, I'm gonna be the change in the world. Um, and it's so cliche, and yet that is a cliche for a reason, mm -hmm. that what mm -hmm. is authenticity? And that is the transformation. That's, mm -hmm. I was writing about it today, actually. Just a new song that I think is coming is like, my love song to the world and like what do i want to be i want to be the water for the drought i want to be able to show up and have only growth and healing and greenery around me i want to be a presence and it doesn't matter where i bring that presence it doesn't matter if i'm at salesforce or if i'm on the stage playing music or if i'm leading circles with prisoners with high schoolers or with everyday people um i think the healing happens when people show up in their fullness which is why I love counsel. I mean, for me, counsel never ends. There are the four <laughs> intentions of speak from your heart, listen from your heart, be spontaneous, be brief or lean, which I haven't been in this moment, but um, those, those intentions, it's my religion. It's the only religion that I know and that I believe in. Um, and I, I bring that belonging to myself wherever I go. Mm-hmm. So I heard a lot, and, and I think this is so important because in, again, for millennial and younger generations, I think there's this quest for almost perfection of mm. authenticity that I know I suffered from when I graduated college. I, would, I, I really, I had a full panic attack about four to five years of serious anxiety because the, the scripts in my head were, I'm not fulfilling my potential. What is my work? 
What is my work? And basically, where's the job description that fits my identity? And if I don't find the job description that fits my identity, then I have failed myself mm. and I have failed the people that know me and believe in me. And as I've been hearing over the years from Elizabeth Gilbert, who has said, for instance, away with the word passion mm. and the whip we have used on ourselves to find our passion and bringing back this resurgence of gentleness and curiosity and blend what you're saying with you can show up in your heart regardless of the environment, regardless mm. of the group you're with, whether it's a CIO, a high school or a prisoner, right? If we are, first of all, I'm taking away already, like key message one here is it doesn't matter what, love what you're doing. Be yourself within whatever you're doing. Mm. And then I want to ask you as we deepen this, really concretely, why are people so drawn to tech, right? The Googlers. I've spoken with people on this show who are at Google, who are in, at Kernel, who are on the front edge of developing tech space, which we all are feeling both the, I would say, the glimmer and attraction of, like the sexiness of technology, mm -hmm. as well as immense fear because of the patriarchy, because of the masculine run amok and like tugging us into the future, mm. right? And so I think there, there can, and I've heard this in our conversations of like wanting to resist it, wanting to push it away, wanting to be away, like done with it. And then also joining it mm. and sort of like, let's be real with what does the father figure of our society, what does the patriarchy, what does this old traditional model still offer us? Mm even as we're innovating on it in tech, why did you choose Salesforce? Not because you could bring who you are to it, because that's important, but why Salesforce? What does it give you? I'm talking like, what are the rewards, Lillian? Huh. Well, I mean, I, I, I choose what's choosing me in a moment to a certain degree. And it was a, a very clear arising that I was going to be joining the consulting world. And again, this is a, just a, another thread of, I used to be a nanny in LA while I was floating all of the work that I was doing, um, just as another piecemealing. And that nanny resume that I had built over the years allowed me to work for um, a president of a consulting firm in Denver, Colorado, when I decided to leave LA and move um, to Colorado. And they were the ones that were like, I don't want you to actually work for me. I want you to work for my company. I see that you have an analytical mind. I think that you would like this thing called Salesforce. And I did. I was, I mean, the first thing I thought was, oh my gosh, I could build my own apps to track human development. I could build my own apps to see progress of people that are having addiction problems. And I wanted to quantify it. And my brain also likes to quantify things and I want answers and a lot of answers we can't have. Um, but one, it, it became a snowball and suddenly I was like, gosh, this is the financial stability that I was asking for. So a part of it is it was so in front of my face and I was like, I want that and I'm going to do that. Um, I think finances is a huge part of it. The tech world does offer a lot of financial stability. I mean, I multiplied my salary by, I think six or seven times in the last six years, which is, which is wild compared to what I was making as a social worker. Um, and it's so unfair um, with the amount that we pay social workers and the work that they're doing. Um, but again, it goes back to, I think I have a belief that um, 
I have to go inside the thing in order to transform it. And that might mean that I have to leave that, but I have to be inside of it to know it and then embody it and then decide how I'm going to move or transform it from the inside out Mm -hmm. just by being. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's kind of like, I don't like water. So I learned how to scuba dive so I could, so I could be in the water. So I think that that's just the way that my brain works of we're not going to patriarchy is here. Mm -hmm. Um, It's going to be changed from the inside out. And the tech world is very masculine. I mean, there's a lot, I mean, I have, I have, dealt with some things in my time working in the tech world. Um, and I'm a good chameleon. I can be there. Um, and it might mean, it might end up being that I decide to leave the tech world because I understand it a little bit. And then maybe the gifts of that place will be me starting my own LLC and knowing how to offer from the outside in because I came from that world. I understand. You speak to the understanding. So this is where um, I'll bring in one of our anthropology terms. In the work that I do, I often feel like I'm performing corporate ethnography. Mm -hmm. And ethnography is basically the study of a culture from within that culture. And you are also speaking directly to the reason this podcast started was because I, my what kept me up at night, my problem was... I feel, I feel so much judgment and fear around people who are benefiting from this tech boom at levels six times a salary mm. of people who are serving society, right? I, I get very uncomfortable with some of the, the mindset that is driving forward innovation, including the go fast and break things mentality. Mm. I think we went fast. I think we've broken things. Um, And I think that we're now in a place where we're reconciling the things we've broken because we haven't been able to keep pace with what we're learning. And this debate, this juicy conversation of how deep do we go inside of the giant and the whale's belly to transform it? Is there this toggling of in, out? in, out, so that you're like the dolphin under the waves in the air, under the waves in the air. And I mentioned masculine feminine for this episode because this is what I'm hearing you grapple with. Hmm. And Hmm. if this podcast were dedicated to anything, it would be basically, may I? Mm -hmm. This, which is the weaving of these forces in a way that creates beauty and harmony. And this is a snake, which is incredible. And obviously like All healing transformation. I love this. <laughs> um, so the beauty of tech to provide financial stability, mm-hmm. as well as a place where our analytical mind can reign and play and explore, which I hear from, for instance, Dakota Decker, who's at Kernel, and I was telling Lillian, I was listening to this podcast coming up here, where Kernel has created a brain measuring device to essentially augment cognition, the ability to level up human cognition. Who knows what this leads us to, right? And Lex Friedman, for those of you who listen to his podcast, he's a technologist and futurist, He was sharing on the podcast that while he was wearing the helmet and was seeing the data being captured real time from his thinking, felt that he was being deeply heard. 
This was his experience, was he was being deeply and accurately heard from the data that was being transposed from his brain. Mm. And so we have this interesting product-oriented now Mm. merging and melding of the masculine and feminine. If one of the effects of being able to measure our brain and bring technology closer and closer to the human organism is to help us feel more connected and hopefully, this is my hope, is that it leads us in our conscious evolution, then I'm a little more at ease with it. Hmm. So let's come to your life now again. And, and before I go on, was there anything that you wanted to add to that? Um, no. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it is July 2nd, 2021 mm-hmm. today. This beautiful Friday in California. <laughs> You're going to go have lunch with a friend about potentially uh, bringing counsel into corporate worlds mm-hmm. even more, mm-hmm. right? What is your hope, William? Like what? And I, I got to read your intention letter, and I, I heard your prayer. Essentially, do you want to share with us what that prayer is? And you mentioned a little bit about it. What's pulling you forward right now? Mm. Yeah, I, uh, I feel. It, 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 every day it gets a little bit more clear. And I guess to, to, to add like this intention letter, um, six years ago, almost to the date. And actually what is today is the second, um, one month from now I'll be on my second vision quest. Um, I'll be on day two and vision quest. Um, I want to be sensitive, especially from a cultural appropriation perspective, but vision quest has been a big part of my life and my teacher, which is where what you, is it? yeah, yeah you go out, um, in ceremony for five days, you just have water, um, enough water for five days, and you are sleeping out in the wilderness, and you are with yourself, with as few distractions as possible. I brought this was actually my journal that I had out there um, mm. that I'll be bringing out with me again. Mm. I didn't. I, you try to have as little distraction as possible, just to be with, right? And you go out with an intention. You write a letter, and then you distill that intention down to one thing. And I think for me. Like I'm kind of vacillating between like I am the wild magic or the work of becoming a world channeler. How do I, like what is the world asking of me in this moment? And I'm trying to get still enough and courageous enough that I might go out there and it will tell me to quit everything and start over. I don't know who I'm becoming, but that's my ceremony. and that'll be, yeah, a month from from now. So everything in my life right now is very deep severance. Even being back in Topanga, I'll actually be coming straight back to Topanga after the fast. So I'm being held in my pre-ceremony here and I'll be held in my post-ceremony here as well in the wild, which is wonderful instead of being so in the city. Um, Where are you going to do this? I'm going to be doing that in Colorado on like the most beautiful land surrounded by all of the ranges. It's insane. Are you going to do it alone? Um, I'm doing it with a program with School of Lost Borders, um, and there's a sister program of them called Wild Mountain, which is uh, near Buena Vista, about three hours away from me in Denver. So there'll be about 10 of us. The first time I did it, there were 15 of us from all over the world. So I have this network of people that we all fasted together, my friend in Scotland, my friend in Africa and Switzerland. and um, But yeah, I mean, I think for me, that's, that's what is emerging is where am I emptying out? What are the deaths that need to happen now? 
and that there are ways that I probably still am relating to technology in a way that isn't serving me, that is a part of the smallness, that maybe maybe it has gotten to the point that it is golden handcuffs and I've taken it as far as I need to go and now I need to transmute that energy or is there still work for me to do? And I think I'm really at the place of instead of stressing out about all the questions that I have, similar to how I got into the tech world in the first place, what feels like a yes in this moment? What is arising in this moment that feels like a yes? And being clear enough and connected enough, it goes back to our conversations about bioacomalafe and the emergent future of how do we align ourselves to what is arising? And I think a lot of that has to do with power as well. And I feel in my power when I am listening deeply and watching what is what is meant to be harvested in that moment. Um, Can I pause you there? Yeah. So one way you're doing this that I'm hearing is, and I just try to make this as tangible as possible for people who go, okay, well, I'd like to participate in emptying myself out too. And that sounds like a beautiful poem. And how do I live that? So Mm -hmm. one way I'm hearing you do that is by making this space and this threshold of this vision quest. Mm -hmm. That's one. How do you do this regularly? So that it's this daily thing you're talking about. What does that look like for you, Lillian, to be available each day to receive that guidance? Mm. I think that that's a part of my fast, for sure. I need to get better about my daily meditation practices. Um, but I but I do do things like that. The quietness, the walking and only walking and being as present as possible. Um, and honestly, council practice, I, I sit in a lot of circles. Um, and for me, in the way that I relate to the world is everything is a mirror. And I don't mean that I'm a narcissist in the center <laughs> of my Truman show, but I choose to see the wind blowing in the grass as something that I can learn from. And that if a bluebird lands near me, what is the lesson of the bluebird? And Um, the cats that annoy me in this house sometimes because the fur is everywhere and I'm a slightly type A controlling person still. Um, How am I okay with the mess? And I think for me, Mm -hmm. that's a huge part of this fast is the mess. Like I I have tried to control the mess my whole life and have the perfect cookie cutter life, the perfectionism, the living my passions and all those things. And it's exhausting. Like, what does it look like now if I go out on the mountain and I come back and I've got dirt in my teeth and I've got dirt under my fingernails and dirt on my face that I am just a part of the earth. Like that is, and again, how do I empty out enough to listen to what the earth wants of me, the the world or your ancestors? I think that those are all synonymous words that we can say that the listening has to be really quiet, I think, but then sometimes things just come and slap you in the face and your life changes like that. Or maybe it's a hawk circling every time you go somewhere. Um, I think I've just so deeply practiced that awareness and it doesn't look like me sitting on a cushion every day and meditating for 10 minutes. It doesn't. It looks like maybe I sleep with this rock sometimes or when I wash my face, what am I washing off that day? When I brush my teeth, like everyday little practices that the ceremony really doesn't ever stop. Yeah. That we are always in severance of something of our lives. Something is always and can always die to make room for something better, bigger. Um, and I don't mean like better, bigger, patriarchal in that way of like, who, who am I? What music can come through me if I'm a hollow bone? If I'm the flute and what's the breath? I still don't know. I will never claim to know what the breath is that moves me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I want to, okay. I'm going to also plug here cause I spent some time on your website before our chat if you want to take your journey deeper to Lillian on her site, and I'll include that in the show notes, 
uh, has beautiful book recommendations, as well as you can listen to her music and be taken in that journey. Um, and you can also learn a little bit more about circles and the offerings that she's leading in circle work. And something that I have found really impressive is consistency in your life. Like all through COVID, I've been getting an email preparing for Tuesday allyship circle. Mm. Uh, can you mention just a little bit about what that is and how that relates perhaps to our conversation? Yeah, hugely relates. It goes back to power. Um, I, it, my world blew up in March of last year. And this was the first time that I really started working on my white privilege and whoa, I can't believe, I mean, I had worked in the prison system for years. Like, how did I not, I just, I was just a good white person. Um, and so I called the container that I needed and I do deep work in circles with people. It's, it's where I feel seen and I see others and other people's stories reflect back my own work that I need to do. So I knew it was the perfect container to, from a community perspective, let's deal with our racism. So what is it? The so allyship circle. It is every month now and it's been happening for a year and people from all over the country. We just zoom in and um, usually I send homework a week in advance, homework, um, just to give people some talking threads. But really we show up and we keep talking about, wow, how did your racism show up this week? What are the stories of you unpacking racism? And I think a lot of, I recognize how much power and privilege I have and the fact that I can take 10 days and go on a program and fast to, to, to get more clear. But Really, I mean, I'm deeply devoted to how do I leverage my power to topple the systems that oppress people. And that might mean that I step down from the, from the top of the ladder where I am and push other people up. Like I am, like I, I am willing to release the power and the privilege that I have. That's the, I want to level the playing fields. So when I think about uh, Emmanuel Acho, he, he mentions that um, too, where he had, uh, he is a restaurant card because he's a celebrity now, right? Emmanuel Acho is a, an ex-NFL player and and he said it so perfectly. He was like, you know, now I, once a year I get I get a, a card that allows me to feed 150 people at this restaurant. We can spend whatever we want. And he's like, to me, that is a power card. And so once a year I bring 150 homeless people and we have a feast. And I'm like, yeah. So yes, I recognize I am white. I am so white. I'm pale white. I've got some <laughs> European descent here. Um, and I got a lot of whiteness in me that I'm still unpacking and a lot of power and a lot of privilege and white men are still above me, but I'm down to topple this system and I'm down to let go of the ways that it privileges me because we need diversity. And I will say, Tech, the tech world offers me that. I am surrounded by diversity and diversity of thinking. Mm. And if I have 50 mm. people swarming me on a deal that we're trying to close, mm. I have 50 different brains from all over the world, literally. I'm like, wow, that's how you think about something? How brilliant. Like we, we need biodiversity. What a boring world without biodiversity. Mm -hmm. What? Mm -hmm. I don't want to live in that world. Mm -hmm. So how do I become the person that is constantly creating the world that I want to live in or creating the cultures that I want? Mm -hmm. It's not a surprise that like I'm the head of our culture at, at Salesforce, right? I was the head of Denver's culture for two years, shaping and, and moving us in a direction that I think brings human wholeness. We all need wholeness. We all need places for us to show up. And I think it just takes one person to shift the room 
and be like, you're safe to show up here. You have permission to be yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so we carry ourselves in the safety that we've cultivated. Got lots of goosebumps during that one. <laughs> I love that. You sent me a podcast episode last weekend that really touched mm-hmm. me. I just was driving from Santa Monica to Los Feliz with tears streaming down my face, um, listening to Krista Tippett speak with Joanna Macy mm-hmm. and Anita Burroughs. Yeah. And they just translated, offered a new translation to letters to a young poet from Maria Rayner Rilke. Rainer Maria Rilke, mm-hmm. and I haven't read that book yet, but boy, I'm going to. Uh, I want to ask you one of one of the quotes they share in this episode is from the poet uh, Rilke, which is about living the questions. Mm. And as you said, right, I felt that harken back. Perhaps you won't find answers on your vision quest maybe you'll find even better questions. Mm. What are, or what is one, or if you feel like there are more, what are the questions in you right now? Mm. Who am I becoming? That's the biggest one. Um, When I did my pre-medicine walk, was what they call that of prepping again more deeply. I'm doing another one on Monday to just really start sinking in. There's a hummingbird. Um, The, yeah, I have these other running questions similar to what St. Teresa of Avila, she has a poem about this, but um, like, who will you have me be? What will you have me do? Where will you have me go? What will you have me say and to whom? I've had this like little limerick stuck in my mind for months now where those questions just open-ended, like, who am I with no attachment to what I might become? And it scares the living daylights out of me. Oh, fuck yeah, man. My attachments, the things that I still am attached to, (laughs) um, the the privileges that I might lose, things that I don't want to let go of that I'm still clinging to. But even, I mean, I've stayed in this house, for example, many times, like many times before, and it used to drive me nuts, all the cobwebs around me and the cat hair and all of the things that I wanted to control and make neater. And I'm okay with the wild. Like we are wild. And so I think that there's that too of like, like the wildness of where is my wild? Who am I when I'm in my wild? Who am I when I'm living each moment like it's magic? And I have a deep fear of losing my mind. Deep Mm. fear of our mental health system. I know it intimately. Mm. I used to work with schizophrenic children for a long time. And I saw the way that the psych wards treated them. I see the way Western medicine treats them in this culture. And I understood a lot of the people that I worked with. And I've read a lot of books around spirituality and psychosis and extreme states. And and Arnie Mandela is one of those people that really works with that. And that's why he left Western psychology to start studying shamanism around the world and understand, wow, these are actually modalities that other cultures use. This is their psychology and it takes it beyond the fence of Western psychology. And I think that that's where I'll tie this together is that I have those fears of, 
going out there and losing my mind and not being Mm -hmm. able to come back to the mountain, not be able to have conversations with humans anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's still my ego trying to stop me from the work because after every single time I come back and more fullness and more able to hold spaces and gather communities together to be with each other. But it's still a big fear of mine. I thought about it today where I'm like, wow, what if something really clicks and I don't come back? What if I go into another world and I, and I can't access this one anymore? Um, and I'm, I'm willing to push those limits. I'm pushing those limits because I want to make sure that I'm going to be a good ancestor. I want to make sure that, that I, the life that I think that is wanting to live through me, that I'm out of the way. So I'm living in a lot of questions right now. And I, for the first time in my life, I'm not running to try to find the answer because I feel so uncomfortable with this feeling. This is the first time that I'm leading a pretty nomadic life right now with a deep desire to continue to live pretty nomadically without necessarily a home base. It's the first time where I'm not running from the fear of not having those answers. It's the first time that I'm like, here's my whole self as I know it to this point. And I'm, I'm in LA now and my root is down. And then I'm about to go to Portland and I'm gonna root down there with my family in Portland and, or chosen family. And wherever I go, there I am. How can I serve the world better in this moment? I have to get out of the way. That fear of not being able to come back when we enter the wild. And the wild for just like a rudimentary definition of masculine feminine. Masculine is associated with that go energy where feminine is more in that flow state. Masculine is more in, and this is not man, woman. These are masculine feminine energies moving through every element of existence. So within the man, within you, within me, within the cat and the hummingbird Mm. and the spider webs, there is the go and the flow. There's the order and the chaos. There's the understood and the known, the anchor points and the unknown and the let's see and the questions, answers, questions. (laughs) And opposites attract right that's like that magnetic dancing that's happening through our lives Mm. always why am i attracted to technical engineering minded men because i'm a very feeling oriented physical embodied woman (laughs) i fucking need balance i need someone to keep me in answers and known and as a single female which is another piece of the conversation you and i have shared because We are powerful, privileged, educated women in our young 30s, you know, excuse me, but badass, right? Like walking on this earth. And it it comes with its own challenges Mm -hmm. in our society of the scripts that we're all walking through. I know I've got my friends Mm -hmm. who are married and having children. And for any other woman or man or uh, LGBTQ, anyone listening who's not in that conventional arrangement right now mm-hmm. in your life. I want this to also be a haven for saying thank you. Like, thank you for joining in this part of the edge pushers and the seekers that are doing this work right now, unpartnered in that way. Mm-hmm. 
which I do believe also gives us a level of freedom that is unique. And I think that being in reality and practical about these things is important. So, so backing up, I've heard it put that the bigger one's voice becomes in the world, mm. <clears throat> the more of a leader and a role model our presidents, our authors, our celebrities, the more we are known, the harder it is to do what you're talking about, which is releasing the expectations of ourselves and releasing the expectations that are put upon us by our listeners and our public. With great power comes great responsibility. With great knownness comes certain constraints. Mm -hmm. And how do we, because I, I know I when, when my life blew up, that meant leaving France, that meant leaving a partnership, that meant leaving the conventional path, that meant leaving employment with a salary, <laughs> that meant leaving fucking healthcare in France, which is just not what we have here. And what I got, because I wasn't sleeping and eating and I was fucking anxious and I was not well inside. I was not in integrity at a mm. certain point. And it wasn't because of one of those things. It just was I hadn't listened enough to the arrows that were trying to change my direction. And then it crashed. And I'm now in California and I'm running my own business and I'm having these conversations. And I'm happy. And I'm at one moment and I'm feeling whole. Hmm. And I want to offer that there's that wholeness possibility in, in a way, losing the social mind. Hmm. I did lose it. I fucking lost it. And people <laughs> saw me lose it. And I, there were problems to that. It's not easy. I don't want this to be like, so then, you know, you lose it and then you figure it out. It's no big deal. It's like you fucking go on a vision quest and you get called for something. Who knows what that's going to take you on? Yeah. And it is a signing up for the unknown and the wild. Okay, thank you for listening to that big old riff and soliloquy here. Coming back to counsel, hmm. which you said is basically your religion. Mm -hmm. And I also know that another perspective of yours, as you've mentioned, is cultural sensitivity mm. and, and staying true to your roots. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me and us a little bit about how counsel has become yours? Hmm. Well, it's changed as I've changed. I, I lead a lot of circles. And then when I really started doing embodiment work, actually you were huge in that. Like I always watched you dance and I was like, Oh God, I cannot, my body has not been a home for me my whole life going back to femininity. And I did not feel safe being embodied. And the more I showed up in the world, I had some really bad sexual experiences that like, don't get too bright. Like you were going to get chopped down. Um, and really trying to figure out how to be safe in my body, which I've been working on a, a lot the last year. Um, little side note there, I also got diagnosed with an autoimmune disorder that really forced me to do that. So when I think about the go, go, go of masculinity that, that I have been embodying for a, a chunk of my life, um, I, my body finally forced me to say, you got to learn to float, dude. You got to learn to slow down and be flowy. Um, and in that, you know, I found dance, I found, um, pelvic floor specialists to really help me like loosen my actual pelvic floor and come into my body in a new way. 
Um, and the circles have changed. The way that I facilitate and hold space has changed. And it's changed the way I show up in my work. Like I'm a deeply feminine person mm. and I have a lot of masculinity. Mm. I know how to be a really mean athlete. Not saying that all masculines are, but I am, I'm ruthless. Mm. There's a lot mm. of ferocity in me mm. that... Um, I think that's all the dance that I'm doing right now, but man, like for the first time in my life, I'm in California and I want to get in the ocean. Mm -hmm. I want to go in there at nighttime and just be like, whoa, I want to be out on a boat so far, just floating and actually get in the water and figure out how to float. And that is not me. So even little things like that, like that's a new part of Lillian that's emerging that I'm like, okay, fine. We're going to get in the water right now. That's what you want to do. You've never wanted to get in the water before, but I'm going to be there, you know? And um, I just don't know if that necessarily answers your question, no, it, but it's... It does. It does. And what, what, it, what it brings to mind is this visual and coming back to our initial question for this, this conversation of feeling into the emerging world mm. and what is coming through us right now and living these questions, mm. what I'm hearing if we were to just bring that home to a talking piece size, something we can all keep in our pocket as we're exploring, as we're on our vision quest as a world, hmm. is murmuration. The way that birds move in syncopation, if you've watched a, a flock mm. of birds move, you were just saying, that isn't me, that's not what I would have done. This is the willingness, like the council intention of spontaneity. Mm. This is the willingness of turning on a dime. This is the willingness of we're at work and normally I would have spoken up. Normally I would have said nothing. And for some reason, the impulse is there. And today I'm willing to listen to the true impulse. Mm. Whether that's I'm ready to face this fear, I'm going to get in the water. Or I'm finally ready to use my voice, I'm going to speak up. Or I'm a leader who's time has come to listen, I'm going to sit back. And mm. it, it's not prescriptive. And it's a discernment question for all of us, which is what feels so alive right now. Mm. And I think in this post-COVID, as we're cracking open quarantine walls now, how do we stay fresh? How do we stay listening in the body? Mm. And attune ourselves to being willing to dance again so that it's listening to order, taking care of our needs. Cause I'm hearing that too with autoimmune mm. health issues. There is a deep need in the body that called for your attention. Mm -hmm. You listened and you've been listening. Mm -hmm. Then I've heard the calling and I want you to say a few words about this before we conclude. Cause I know you have a meeting coming up too okay. is Music is calling. Oh, and so you're good. making space for that. Yeah. So as we wrap, I want to I wanna just offer you this moment, talking piece in hand. What do you want to take for yourself going forward? And or do you want to offer anything? What are your final words here, reflections to the center of this circle? And we can come back here in a year's time. And... <laughs> We can come back to this, but for now, what are your reflection words here? Hmm. Um, 
those of you that are only listening to this who don't see the video, when, when you brought up music, I had like the <laughs> feeling and made that face. It's like the lion's breath in yoga where I'm like, oh God, why are you asking him this? You know, um, I, with power comes great responsibility. And ever since I was a child, I guess when I first started learning how to speak, I would just look at my mom and say, people are going to know me. People are going to know my name. And I've always felt like that. And I, that is not from an egotistical perspective. I actually don't want that. I don't want like, uh, but I do feel like I've been in a pressure cooker for 33 years to get me ready to show up in my fullness on stage and get ready for people to tear me down and tear down my stories. And this album that is coming out is so truly me. It feels like the most vulnerable thing that I've ever put out into the world. And I'm ready to show up and I'm ready to ask for help and I'm ready for this to be known um, and for people to to hear the stories that have come through me. Some of them are my stories. I, I They're beyond my, they're beyond me. Um, and I think that they want to be heard and I'm ready to show up to, to channel that. I think I'm meant to sing and I am going to start turning shows into council circles. I've started to come up with ideas of how to engage the audience and have storytelling and have me create songs on the fly as I start to hear the stories or understand the group collective. How that's going to happen when there's a stadium of 60,000 people someday? No clue. But I'm going to find a way because, um, again, it just takes one person to show up to give permission to people to arrive and um yeah i uh <laughs> perfect timing um i feel like i'm being called to do big things in this world and i resent it sometimes and it goes back to being a leader oh there you go um it goes back to being i know i've always been a leader and um, I've resented being a leader because I had too much responsibility at a really young age. And ironically enough, my first fast intention was how do I become a good leader? And, and now here I am six years later, fully integrated. I think it took six years to fully integrate from that ceremony. And now I'm going out and asking for something deeper in myself. And I think it's because the world wants me to show up in a really big way and in a new way. And the more visible I am, the more people, you know, it's just like the crabs. You don't need a lid on a crab container because all the crabs pull the crabs down and no one ever escapes. And I know that there will be people that will tear me down and um, I have to be strong enough to withstand that. And so I don't think I've been ready until now. And here we are. I love it. Is there one question you would leave at the center of this circle to pass on to the next guest mm. who are you becoming thanks for joining us on path and purpose before you go is there something you want to take with you perhaps a story that sparked a new thought or feeling for how you want to live closer to what matters most add your voice to the circle by leaving a note in the comments and we hope you'll continue walking the path with us on soundcloud itunes and youtube for stories from future guests about making meaning in this emerging world until then let's be safe and have fun Bye.